informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic drive time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Monday, Memorial Day, May 29th. 2023, the Feast of St. William of Gelon in the land of Aquitaine. There lived a noble duke named William. He was the descendant of the renowned the renowned Charles Martel and one of Emperor Charlemagne's loyal paladins and 12 peers, esteemed as almost kings in the empire. Duke William had proven his valor in battle, triumphing over the Saracens in 20 campaigns. Wealth Glory and admiration surrounded him, and he reigned in the city of Toulouse, honored by the people, esteemed by the emperor, and loved by God. But in the midst of his grandeur, Duke William's heart was burdened with a higher calling. One day, trembling with emotion, he approached Emperor Charlemagne and spoke, expressing his deep devotion. Lord Charles, my father, listen to your soldier. You know, Lord, how much I love you and how I have served you. You are dearer to me than life and light. I was at your side in battles, ready to lay down my life to shield you from harm. With utmost reverence, Duke William revealed his true desire. He wished to leave behind his worldly accomplishments and serve his eternal king. He longed to fulfill a vow he had made to abandon the world and embraced the solitary life of a monk in the desert he had built for the love of the emperor. The emperor, surprised by this unexpected request, was deeply moved, and after a moment of silence, he spoke with a heavy sigh. Duke William, you are breaking my heart. If you had chosen another king or emperor over me, it would be a grievous injury, and I would rally the whole world against that ruler for stealing you away. But I cannot prevent you from leaving my army to become a soldier of the king of angels. I cannot do this. Despite his sorrow, Emperor Charlemagne granted Duke William permission to embark on his spiritual journey. Before parting ways, the emperor asked for one last gift to commemorate their friendship. Duke William humbly declined any material treasures, but expressed a desire to receive a portion of the Holy Cross that the emperor had obtained during their journey to Jerusalem. Although deeply attached to the precious relic, the emperor readily bestowed upon Duke William a part of the Holy Cross as a symbol of their eternal friendship, surpassing the limits of mortal life and defying death itself. Embracing his new calling, Duke William entered the monastery in the year 806, and he shed his former titles, embraced a life of humility, donning a simple tunic and mounting a donkey to bring food to the workers in the fields of the monastery of Gelon, which he had founded years earlier. Through his selfless dedication, Duke William became a beacon of faith and a model of holiness. In recognition of this exemplary life, he was canonized St. William of Gelon, also known as St. William of Aquitaine. Today, we honor the memory of St. William, the noble duke who left behind worldly wealth and power to embrace a life of poverty and devotion. May his example inspire us to seek the higher calling, to serve God and our fellow beings with selflessness and unwavering faith.
Saint William of Galon, pray for us and guide us on our spiritual journeys. Saint William of Galon, pray for us. Happy Monday to you. Happy Memorial Day. An amazing saint for Memorial Day. A soldier saint who may have not won the red crown of martyrdom, but he certainly won the the crown of purity. A beautiful, beautiful thing. What a great saint. I had to do a longer one uh, because it's just such a great story. I did not want to shorten it, not one bit. But I hope you're having a blessed Memorial Day. Today is, in fact, a pre-recorded show. So if you are tuning in, it is going to be a pre-recorded show. Tomorrow will be live. But the rest of the week, it will be a little weird. It'll be a little weird of a show because the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we actually have our GRN family retreat. So we're not going to be in the studio Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, meaning there is no, there will be a show, but it'll be pre-recorded Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tomorrow it will be live, so there will be a game show tomorrow. You're going to want to tune in for that because whoever the first caller is will win the prize, and that prize is going to be a CDT prize pack. It's going to be a coffee cup of Divine Providence signed by the CDT team, and there's going to be a little extra goodies thrown in as well some secret surprises so you're going to want to tune in tomorrow morning and join us in the game show as well as everything else but today what do we have going on we have a number of things so i have some old content that i want to share with you that you probably have never heard before i tell the story of king saint ferdinand also of santa maria de la luz also, a video I made for America Needs Fatima for Memorial Day. I'm putting out that as well. And about asking the question, is America great? That's a good question. And we're going to answer that during the this hour. So all this is coming up during the show today. You're going to want to tune in for all of it. It's going to be a great show. And so we're going to begin with prayer as is our custom right now. Tito put together this show today, so we uh, he's not going to be doing no breaking news because we did, in fact, record this ahead of time. So no breaking news today. So make sure you tune in. We're going to pray for your intentions. We're going to pray for all of our fallen soldiers, everyone who has served in the military, and especially those who have died serving our country. We're going to pray for their repose of their souls and for family members who survive after them. For our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for, and for freedom and liberty of Holy Mother Church, we pray for these things. We ask for the Blessed Mother's intercession as we conclude, just about conclude, this month of Mary. We're going to pray the Subtuum in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Subtuum presidium confugimus sancta dei genitrix nostra deprecationis, ne despicias in necitatibus seda periculis cunctis, Libra no semper virgo gloriosa et benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O holy mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed virgin. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your gospel of the day. The gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Then he went out to continue his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him, asking him, Master, who art so good? What must I do to achieve eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why dost thou call me good? None is good except God alone. Thou knowest the commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not wrong any man. Honor thy father and thy mother. Master, he answered, I have kept all these ever since I grew up. 
Then Jesus fastened his eyes on him and conceived a love for him. And one thing he said, Thou art still wanting. Go home and sell all that thou belongs to thee. Give it to the poor. And so the treasure thou hast shall be in heaven. Then come back and follow me. At this his face fell, and he went away sorrowing, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, With what difficulty will those who have riches enter God's kingdom? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus gave them a second answer. My children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter God's kingdom. It is easier for a camel to pass through a needle's eye than for a man to enter the kingdom of God when he is rich. They were still more astonished. Why then, they said to themselves, who can be saved? Jesus fastened his eyes on them and said, such things are impossible to man's powers, but not to God's. To God, all things are possible. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary from the gospel today comes from Cornelius Alapide. He had a little bit to say. It's interesting. Cornelius Alapide actually has less things to say about the gospel of Mark. The reason for that is that Mark and Matthew share a lot of stories. And so when the stories overlap with one another, he defers to his previous commentary. So anything that is repeated in Mark, he only comments on the things that are different. And he directs you back to the gospel previous. So that's why he has less to say in the gospel of Mark. So what he does say here in verse 21, he says the, the verse here, and then Jesus fastened his eyes on him, conceived a love for him. This is the passage. He says, and Jesus regarded him with a benignant and pleasant countenance, loved him, showed him marks of his love, taking his hand and smiling upon him, embracing and kissing him. One thing is wanting unto thee, namely for the perfection of a holy and evangelical life. Follow me, the Greek adds, take up thy cross. The Syriac has, take thy cross and come after me. Now, this is important to note because this is an evangelical counsel, poverty, chastity, and obedience, the ways of perfection, the ways to imitate our Lord in the most per perfect way. Now, there's a great book on this, and we've talked about it in the past. It's called The Religious Vocation, an Unnecessary Mystery. Here we recognize that this man is actually not a bad person. He is a good person. He's following the commandments, and he followed the commandments his entire life. We presume that it's not a lie here when he says this. Now, what is lacking? Perfection. Because he asks, how can I be perfect? So our Lord tells him, if you wish to be perfect, what you have to do is take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which is why religious life is the perfect life, is a greater life than married life. Now, this is scandalous to many people, but it's simply true. And all people can live this life. Our Lord has called you to live religious life. He has called you to take those vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But these are evangelical counsels, not commandments. And because they are counsels, you have a choice on whether or not you want to take them up and want to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, or if you are willing to deter or defer those goods for a different good, and that is the good of marriage. 
for the good of marriage is, in fact, a good. There's nothing bad about it. It's simply that this is a more perfect life. And so the question that's asked in the book on religious vocations and unnecessary mystery by, I forget, Father Butler, I think, is who wrote it, is he asked the question. Oh, no, it's not Father Butler, but I can't remember the name of the, the man who wrote it. The, the Dominican priest who wrote it, actually, is pretty specific. But the question he asks is, how generous do you want to be with God? How generous do you want to be with God? Do you want to give God all of you? Because you're going to give yourself to someone. You're either going to give yourself whole and entire to God in poverty, chastity, and obedience, or you give yourself to your spouse. And both are good, but the religious life is greater, and God is calling you to it, unless you're already married, in which case you have your vocation. Now, here in verse 24, he says, Little children, the Syriac, my sons, by his bland address, he softens the hardness of the matter. He is like one who loves his children most dearly, and as such, he would tell them the truth in sincerity and persuade them to renounce riches as a bar to salvation. That trust in riches, for rich men trust in their riches rather than in God. According to sayings of Proverbs, the substance of a rich man is the, is, is the city of his strength. With difficulty, therefore, are they saved, because salvation cometh only from God. Wherefore, those who wish to be saved must put their trust in God, and must ask and wait for salvation from him as the poor do. For as in as much as they have no riches in which to trust, they are obliged to place all their hopes in God, according to the words of Psalm 14:6. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his hope. Therefore, if rich men wish to be saved, let them turn their hope, their heart, their love from riches, and fix them upon God. Now, this makes a lot of sense because people often will be confused by this passage. They say, okay, so rich people can't get to heaven. He's saying, no. Rich people can get to heaven, but only if they put their trust in God alone. I know so many people who have money, and they think that they can do it all. I have to trust in my wealth. I have to trust in my hard work. I have to trust in my work ethic. I have to trust in me. Whereas it's easier for the poor, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going to be saved, but it's easier for the poor because they cannot trust in their money. They cannot trust in what they have around them. They must put their trust in God alone. So that's the danger. That's what makes it difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. So a rich man can enter heaven. How? By following the commandments. Keep the commandments, but also trust in God in every aspect of your life. Trust in him. Give it to him. Don't forget to tithe. Give to charity. Give to God. Be generous to God, even in your wealth. All this, it's so important to keep in mind. Now we're going to come in and talk about the true greatness of America when we come back in just one moment. Hey, Donnie, when we see Christ on the cross, what do we call that? A crucifix. And who said, preach Christ and Him crucified? Same call. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean? Don't hang around with bad people? 
No, according to G.K. Chesterton, it means something much better than that. He says that there are certain people who, because they are really pure, create a good atmosphere around themselves. They are truly children of light, and the light shines on everything they touch. When a righteous person stakes out a clear position, we recognize that it's something solid and vital and eternal. So it's not that hanging around bad people makes us bad, it's that being righteous can help make the people hanging around us righteous too. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org To say that America is great by divine design is a rather bold claim. One that should not be made unless there is proof to back it up, or at the very least a sound reason for such a belief. Was America great from the beginning? Stay tuned as I explore just how true this incredible claim is. While it cannot be denied that America is indeed great, there are many issues that need to be addressed before we can pat ourselves on the back for a job well done. I am proud to be an American. This natural and wholesome emotion is born of patriotism and love for my country. Thus, I desire and pray that America will always be great. But what does it mean for America to be great? This quote, written by Catholic author John Horvath II, emphasizes that pride in one's country is only natural and should be encouraged. It also asks what it means for America to be great. If I were to ask you what makes America great, what would your answer be? Some of you might answer this question by associating greatness with bigness, power, or quantity. And in your mind, it is because of this definition of greatness that America must be great. And while these can truly be characteristics of great nations, they are not what makes a nation great. Here's the answer. For the greatness of nations is not found in things, quantities, or delights, but in the character of its people. And this encapsulates the claim that America's greatness is part of divine design. Indeed, true greatness, that which endures the test of time, is born of a willingness to go beyond the common and the ordinary. It causes us to excel, to take heroic action, and to serve causes that take us beyond ourselves. It asks us to resist the temptation to sink into softness and mediocrity. And if this is not what being a Catholic is all about, then I don't know what is. To go above and beyond in order to protect and defend the church's teaching, to follow Mary our mother, and to become the best versions of ourselves in this valley of tears, all for the greatest glory of Our Lady, is truly a testament to the greatness of one's character. America will be great as long as there are those generous, self-sacrificing Americans who step up to the plate, assume responsibility, and become leaders in their communities, businesses, and institutions. This is what was asked of us when Our Lady appeared in Fatima. She urges us to be great, to excel, and to thrive for our nation's sake and the glory of the Catholic Church. We are fast approaching a junction that could potentially decide whether or not we have taken this plea to heart. While we are proud of how far we've come, there is still a long way to go and it is up to us to get the ball rolling. Contrary to the prevailing conventional wisdom, I do not believe America has lost its greatness. However, like everyone, I realize that this greatness is seriously threatened by the course we have set for ourselves. Its survival hinges on the decisions that we will now make. And though this is not a task for the faint of heart, it is something each and every one of us can play a part in. It will require us to uh, roll up our sleeves and take a step outside of our comfort zones to see that a change in America starts with its people. To make America truly great, to fulfill the divine design, we must work on ourselves first. 
What will decide America's future will be what has always decided her future, the character of her people. I'd like to repeat something I quoted. I quoted just now as I imagine it cannot be said enough. America will be great as long as there are those generous, self-sacrificing Americans who step up to the plate, assume responsibility, and become leaders in their communities, businesses, and institutions. What is true glory and what is false glory and how can you and I decipher which is which? With the help of these two incredible pictures, we're going to discover the difference between glory and propaganda and why this matters for you and me. So when you think of the word glory, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Most of us will call to mind images of something grand, something glorious, something bright and beautiful to behold. Oftentimes our ideas is marked by illusions from Hollywood. But for a warrior or soldier idea of glory, that is not the case. Oftentimes it is quite the opposite. It could be a dark and difficult thing to look upon. We are presented with a certain idea of glory from a young age. As children, when we would watch a parade go by with all of the fanfare and grandeur, we would look at our militia with awe and appreciation. And while this description does fit the definition of glory in the people who partake in these ceremonies are often courageous souls, this is the kind of glory influenced by propaganda. In the words of Catholic Brazilian thinker Plenio Correa de Oliveira, we see the British Army's Royal Grenadiers uniform and their impeccably rhythmic and aligned marching. One senses the pride with which the standard bearer carries the national flag and the troop commander indicates the direction of the parade. One can almost hear the beating of the drums and the sound of the trumpets. All of these symbols express the moral beauty inherent in military life, along with the elevation of sentiments and the willingness to shed one's blood, the strength for striving, risking, and winning, the discipline, gravity, and heroism. But after all, is glory only this? Does glory consist just in dressing in anachronistic uniforms and executing maneuvers having no relation to modern battle, playing drums and trumpets and advancing with firm steps to give oneself and others the impression that one is a hero? Does glory consist in advancing courageously on a field without obstacles or risks, launching attacks against a non-existent enemy, having the only reward be inebriating applause of a crowd? Here, Plenio Correa de Oliveira nods to the beauty that lies within the fanfare and theater, but then he moves on to where we will find a true glory. The young American soldier seen here from the Korean War illustrates another aspect of military glory. This man is not concerned with grand movements or theatrical gestures. He concentrates on the thousand details characterizing the real daily life of soldiers. He does not want to play a great role showing off for himself or for others. He wants only the victory of a great cause. It is this that explains his seriousness, his dignity, and his will to resist. This is a painful and perhaps tragic face of military life, yet this is where the merit is and where glory is born. This is the kind of glory that we see reflected in the faces of the children of Fatima when they were criticized and ridiculed for their trust in Our Lady. They were given every opportunity to turn their backs on Our Lady's request, but never did. Instead, they took the harsh words and actions thrown at them and offered it all up for sinners far and wide, and they completed each and everything asked of them with admirable conviction. The life of the church and the spiritual life of each faithful Catholic are ceaseless struggles. Sometimes God gives souls admirable moments of interior or exterior consolation, and sometimes he gives his church days of splendid, visible, and palpable grandeur. 
However, the true glory of the church and of the faithful comes from suffering and from fighting. It is what we do with this suffering and these fights that defines us and our glory. Thank you for watching, everyone. May God bless you and Mary Immaculate keep you under her mantle. God love you. From every human perspective, all hope of victory at the Battle of New Orleans was deemed impossible for the Americans. There was so little arms and money that General Jackson personally visited the convent of the Ursuline Sisters, begging their prayers for an American victory. Then, what the city experienced was one of the greatest military triumphs at the hands of the Mother of God, a miraculous victory. Our story all began when a great fire broke out, engulfing much of what would later be known as the French Quarter. Keep watching to find out what happens next. Now let's move on to our story. A series of miracles, really. In 1812, a great fire broke out in New Orleans. The Ursuline sisters had to flee their convent, which was in danger of being destroyed by the Inferno. One of the sisters wrote an eyewitness account. She said, quote, Hastily, the superior Reverend Mother St. Michael commanded the nuns and schoolchildren to leave the building. As she herself turned to go, she was horrified to see Sister St. Anthony, one of the old nuns, climbing the stairs. Following her, Reverend Mother discovered she was carrying a small statue of Our Lady. As the superior watched, Sister St. Anthony hurried to the window on the second floor. She set the statue on the sill, facing the fire, then knelt and prayed with great confidence, Our Lady of Prompt Succor, save us or we are lost. At that very instant, the wind veered and the flames were blown back over their path of destruction, and soon died out. Amazing. You see, a few years before, this same Mother Superior fell on her knees and made a vow in return for Our Lady's help with a special intention. She promised to have Our Lady honored at New Orleans under the title of Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And so she commissioned a statue and the devotion spread. Now I'm particularly fascinated by the next miracle in our story. During the War of 1812, General Andrew Jackson was quickly dispatched for the defense of New Orleans, and he arrived in October of 1814. Jackson stood at the head of a few thousand little armed to unarmed men, and as 1815 dawned, it became widely known that more than 8,000 of the finest British troops were preparing for an assault on the city. The British themselves were well aware of the total lack of defenses and were confident of their victory. So, General Jackson personally visited the convent of the Ursulines, begging their prayers for an American victory. The night before, Father Dubrog led the city in prayer before the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Succor, praying for a miraculous solution. 
This is incredible. I wish we saw more of this kind of Catholic devotion from modern day leaders in this country. If you agree, consider joining our Child of Mary group to help spread the message of Our Lady of Fatima. We are on a mission to spread this kind of devotion to every corner of America, and you can be a part of it. Click the link in the description down below or click right here to find out more. Okay, back to our story. Remember, General Jackson had just finished praying to Our Lady of Prompt Secours for a miraculous victory. On January 8, 1815, the Americans readied for the assault, and as the morning dawned, a dense fog covered the battlefield. But what happened next stunned the American defenders. The British soldiers began hearing conflicting orders, and in the confusion, the elite of England's army collided with one another. When American spies gave the signal that the British were in range, Jackson gave the order to fire. British General Packerham was unhorsed and killed early on, and no natural explanation exists for the chaos and disorder that reigned among the invading troops. The lone remaining general sounded the retreat after a mere 30 minutes of engagement. The aftermath of the battle had the defenders jumping for joy. According to numbers verified by General Jackson, more than 2,600 British soldiers lay dead or dying on the battlefield, while the Americans counted only 13. Half of the American troops never even fired a single shot. And it was all said and done in only half an hour. General Jackson rode to the Ursuline convent to thank the sisters for their prayers. He later wrote to them crediting their prayers with this stunning victory against the British. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story as much as I did. Our Lady of Prompt Succor hastened to help us. Thank you for watching, everyone. May God bless you and Mary Immaculate keep you under her mantle. God love you. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit? Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls and we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Within 48 hours, there were two very different marches in Washington, D.C. The March for Life and the Women's March. 
TFP Student Action interviewed people from both marches in 2023 to ask them the same six questions. And let me just say, these two marches absolutely represent two very different Americas. Okay, on to that clip that we saw in the beginning. You will be shocked to hear how extreme this contrast is between these two different groups who live in the same nation. It reveals a great division. One America stands for God and moral values, and the other America tramples on those same values and lives for themselves. Just to briefly describe the marches I'm talking about, the March for Life is the largest annual rally to end abortion. It's youthful, peaceful, and prayerful. In contrast, the Women's March promotes abortion on demand, and its followers support free love, homosexuality, and transgenderism. Oh, and they hate moral values. And both sides were asked the same six questions by TFP Student Action. The first question was, what was your reaction to the reversal of Roe v. Wade? The pro-lifers responded with joy. They said they were praising the Lord. And those at the Women's March responded that they were disappointed and fearful. What was your reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? I was praising the Lord. We had tears of joy. After the reversal of Roe v. Wade, what was your reaction? At first, it was immediate disappointment, fear, just... I, I saw it coming, and I shouldn't be as surprised, but it was just disappointment. I was extremely sad and angry. Nothing too surprising here, uh, but you might be stunned at the response to the question number two. Which side of the debate has the most momentum right now? Those interviewed at the March for Life did not hesitate to claim victory for the pro-life side. More than one pro-lifer said that truth is on their side, and you can't beat the truth. Which side of the debate do you think has the most momentum right now? It's hard not to say that the, uh, you know, the pro-life side has the most momentum coming off of a, a victory like that. I believe the pro-life side has the most momentum because science, facts, and love, and truth, most of all, is on our side. Right now, I would say it's on our side. Oh, the pro-life side is always going to win because that's the truth and you can't go against the truth. Look around you. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people here. I'm from Canada. I mean, I came here all the way from Canada to support the Americans and to bring back the encouragement of the Americans to Canada. When you are you come to an event like the March for Life, it absolutely feels like it's on the side of good. In contrast, those at the Women's March were unsure in their answers. One young woman answered, yes and no. She believed the organization was a little off, and if they wait a little bit longer, the turnout should be larger. Another woman said, I want to side with us. I want to side with pro-choice, and I'm hoping that we have enough to push through. I generally don't know if we will, but I believe in us so hard. Hmm, that doesn't sound very confident to me. Okay, now on to question number three. What's the greatest injustice in America right now? Again, without hesitation, the pro-lifers were undivided. Abortion, plain and simple, is the greatest injustice in America right now. And those at the Women's March took a different route. One woman answered poverty, another gun rights, and another the treatment of women. What would you say the greatest injustice is in America right now? Abortion. 
abortion. Abortion. It's the ending of an innocent human life, a human life that has done nothing wrong except live. What is the number one injustice in America? Oh, the number one injustice? Oh, wow. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that is a big question. Uh, I would actually say uh, poverty. Why do we still talk about gun control and do nothing about it? That's, that's, I think it's a bit of a hard question. I think, uh, and this may be a little bit biased, but I think the, the treatment of women. So then it was important to ask both sides the big question. What's the role of purity and chastity in the abortion debate. The pro-lifers unanimously agreed that those virtues have a role in saving the unborn. A pro-life woman left no room for debate when she said, it's the first step if you don't want to bear the consequences of intimacy, then you should practice a chaste life. Well, it's the first step. If you don't want to bear the consequences of intimacy, then you should practice a chaste life. Unsurprisingly, a pro-choicer at the Women's March did not agree. Kids will be kids, that's all I've got to say, she answered, indicating there's no room for self-control. Kids will be kids, that's all i got to say. Um, unfortunately, perpetrators out there that cause people to carry without their consent. So no, <laughs> I don't think there is a place realistically. Now, on to the fifth question which dealt with Planned Parenthood's decision to offer puberty blockers to children. What's your reaction to that, TFB asked? Here's what they said. It's, I mean, I, I have a two-year-old and it's, it's disgusting and it makes me scared for what his future will be. Leave children alone. You know, children cannot consent to that. They don't know what they're doing. I think it's diabolical. I think it's, it's only going to ruin more souls. Puberty blockers is not the way. Jesus Christ is the way. Uh, loving parents that are chaste in their vocational state is, is the way to raise healthy children that don't need to go on puberty blockers. How do you feel about Planned Parenthood offering puberty blockers to children? Well, in general, I do support Planned Parenthood because they are one of the main organizations that truly help not only women, transgender, the whole broad spectrum. Like, they are basically the ones that are helping leading us through safe safe sex, birth control, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the the idea of Planned Parenthood is it's on the right track. There is seemingly far less harm in the utilization of that, those medications than there is in doing nothing or even worse, making more stigma and barriers. And this last question is amusing because of the absurdity of such a question in the first place. True or false? Only women can get pregnant. <laughs> can you guess the answers? On the pro-life side, six out of six gave a confident, affirmative, true. Only women get pregnant. On the pro-choice side, however, answers vary quite a bit. The first feminist had to think about it. After a couple seconds, she laughed. <laughs> true. The others? False, false, and false. Trans men can also be pregnant as well, one leftist said. All of this indicates there's a battle between the America that loves God and his law and the America that promotes vice and the culture of death. Now, what America do you want? Which America will you fight for? For peace in our world 
we have our marching orders from Our Lady of Fatima. Pray and do penance for the conversion of sinners. And don't forget to pray especially for both Americas. Today, I have a special treat for you. I'm going to be presenting my talk I gave at St. Teresa's Catholic Church in Sugarland, Texas on King St. Ferdinand. And I can't remember anything else that I'm supposed to say in these videos. So with that, I'm going to throw so, you in. So uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, famous, I'm not talking about St. Vincent Ferrer, but I just have to mention a Dominican friar at some point. Uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, he uh, said that, all of his homilies, all of his sermons, all of his talks that he ever gave were only ever successful because he began them all with a Hail Mary and ended them all with a Hail Mary. So we're going to begin with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Okay, so today I'm going to talk to you guys about King St. Ferdinand. King St. Ferdinand, an amazing saint. And, you know, immediately as Americans, because we're all here, we're Americans, we uh, think about when we hear the word king, we're like, ooh, kings. That's not good. King's bad. Uh, and this is an erroneous idea. We kind of have this idea of a revolutionary mindset as Americans, and so we kind of reject the idea of kings. And so hopefully, after hearing about the life of King St. Ferdinand, who was perfect in everything he did, he was absolute perfection, unlike his uh, cousin, King St. Louis IX. So that was kind of awkward. King St. Louis IX uh, was a great saint, suffered very well, but he had many, many failures and lost many battles, whereas King St. Ferdinand never lost a battle in his entire life. Uh, amazing saint. So we're going to be talking to him, talking about this guy, King St. Ferdinand. He was the son of King of Lyon and the, and the son of the Queen of Castile. Uh, I'm curious and wonder if uh, that name comes from, uh, or Castillo, like Gabriel Castillo, if that uh, his name originates from there. He might be a descendant of King St. Ferdinand. It's possible. It's possible. But praise be to God. So the one, one of the things that's important to note, though, is that the reason why I mentioned them separately, his mother and his father, is because they had to separate because the Pope declared their marriage uh, as void. It was not a valid marriage. Why was this? Is because they were distant cousins when they were married, and so it invalidated their marriage. And so they had to separate. So his father remained in Lyon, and his mother went back to the kingdom of Castile, where she was queen. And so King St. Ferdinand went with his mother to Castile. And his father did not like this, did not like the fact that his son was living with his wife rather than himself. Now, I don't want you to get a wrong idea about this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to the American court system, can a jury of 12 citizens who are of varying moral beliefs, backgrounds, and persuasions objectively deem a person not guilty who actually committed the crime? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, church law. In the same manner, the Apostolic College, who are the unique inheritors of the Catholic Church authority, were also granted that same power. Secondly, certain limitations. The court of 12, called a jury, can only grant acquittal or guilt. The Apostolic 
Apostolic College proceeding from the Twelve Apostles can declare a third position, that being innocence, different from acquittal. And thirdly, a tough comeback. The jury of twelve wields frightening power that changes lives. The church also wields magnificent power that changes guilt into forgiveness and pardon. Is your Bible church obedient to James chapter 5, which says, Call for the elders of the church, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So if you ask your pastor to provide weekly opportunities to confess sins, will he? Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, You are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. The Queen of Castile, she was a very, very holy woman. She repented and she was received excommunication because of what the situation that she was in. And she had a heartfelt uh, repentance for her action and became an amazing queen, a very holy woman. In fact, I personally think that she is likely a saint as well. So when he was 10 years old, so we're going to fast forward. So if you want to read about his life, let me know. This, there's a great book on his life, excellent stuff. I won't be able to cover nearly enough of it. But the, during his life, when he was 10 years old, he came down with a deathly illness. His whole body was covered in sores. It was very disgusting. He smelled like he was dying. And his mother was freaking out. She didn't know what to do. And then she realized the only solution to this problem was the Blessed Virgin Mary. The only solution to saving her son's life was the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what did she do? She took her son in her arms and she carried him to the nearest shrine of the Blessed Virgin. And she, as she starts walking, the knights of the kingdom of, of Castile start coming in behind her. And they start a procession. And the people on the streets, people in their homes, started getting in behind them and following them down the path. And so now they have this massive procession heading towards the icon of Our Lady. They get to the statue of Our Lady. They get to the image of Our Lady. And the Queen of Castile, she takes her son, her beloved son, her only son, and she presents him to Our Lady and begs Our Lady to save his life and consecrates his life to her. And miraculously, at that moment, he's healed. And all the people who were waiting outside the shrine watching to see what would happen erupt in praise and thanksgiving. If you know any Spaniards, if you know people of Hispanic descent, you know uh, very loud people, very emotional people, very, uh, we demonstrate our emotions very much on our faces and our hand movements. And so everyone just erupts in applause. Everybody's freaking out. It's great. They have this huge parade bringing the child back from, to, the, to the kingdom. A beautiful, beautiful story. And since that day, King St. Ferdinand, or just Ferdinand at the time, he begins to have an ardent love for the Blessed Virgin. He starts praying the little office of Our Lady every day. He's devoted to the Holy Rosary. He's living in the time period when the mendicant orders, the Dominicans and the Franciscans, were just starting. So, before we go on any further, I want to tell you from his own words what he saw as his mission. The King of Castile... King St. Ferdinand, when he became king, it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony that, was, that occurred in order to make him king. But before this, they had to go through a period where they prayed, they fasted, and they prepared to be knighted. And then when he was declared king. 
before he is doing this, he is praying. And he hears our Lord tell him. So he goes, His throne was set on the side of the epistle, but he was despised, but he despised the pews and the pillows, and went instead to kneel on the cold tiles in front of the altar, where his arms were deposited. He looked with love at the sword of a great knight. There was always a flow of attraction between St. Ferdinand and his swords, due to the fact that to him they were both cross and weapon, and he bent to kiss it, murmuring, Christ, my Lord, I am in thy hands the same way this sword is in mine. Show me, my king, what thou wantest of this knight. Now, you think about the sword, right? You think about a sword of a knight, how whenever we think of swords, we think of this sword, right? It has a hilt and it has a crossbar at the end. But have you ever seen other types of sword, like the swords of the Arabs, the swords of the Mohammedans? Theirs was usually in the shape of a curve. Why? Because it was a shape of a crescent moon, the shape of the symbol of Mohammedism or Islam. And so the, the, but the Catholic knights, theirs was in the shape of a cross. So that way, whenever they're going to battle, they had the cross on their mind. And so King St. Ferdinand, every time he looked at his, at his sword, he remembered the cross. It goes on, I want to make your whole life. So Christ tells him. So he's praying and Christ starts speaking to him. And he hears the voice of Christ saying, I want to make your whole life like a representation in a marvelous parable so that the coming centuries may contemplate the war that I, the eternal king and universal Lord, wage against the powers of darkness to conquer the entire earth for my father, Ferdinand. You will be the noble and considerate king who leads his vassals in this great enterprise, the courageous and mortified king who above all others charges ahead in the midst of danger and endures the strain of hard work and the fatigue of battle. You will be the generous and magnanimous king who in victory does not worry about his treasures, but distributes his spoils among his faithful knights. What a beautiful thing. Our Lord desired and made King St. Ferdinand perfect in all he did to show forth if a earthly king can do these great works, can take over nations, can rule over people, can be loved by all, could have the prudence to never wage war against Christians. He promised that he would never wage war against Christians because he said we should never fight our Christian brothers. We should do everything in our power to make sure we do not fight amongst our Christian brothers. And he was successful in every single thing he did. He was perfect in everything he did. Why was this the case? Our Lord tells him, I'm going to do this for you. So that way people will look at your life and they will realize about my kingdom. Because you may be king over Castile. You may be king of Spain. But I am the ruler of the world. I am the king of the world. And when I wage war, I wage war against the powers and principalities, the devils. And they are coming and seeking to devour, but I will conquer. In the same way that King St. Ferdinand never lost a battle. When he would go out to war, it was, people would surrender before he even arrived. Because they knew his, his record of never losing a battle. And because of this, he is an image of our Lord showing the power that our, ha- our Lord has over the powers and principalities of darkness. To go on, King St. Ferdinand... He wanted to wage war against the Muslims because the Pope had called for a holy crusade against the Mohammedans who had taken over the Holy Land, who had now at this point, they're trying to reconquest Spain against the Mohammedans. And he comes to his mother 
hey, the, this mother, I just, he's just such a beautiful woman, such an amazing woman. And it shows forth for us how we should have a love for our earthly mothers, a reverence for our earthly mothers, and listen to our earthly mothers and give them deference. Because we don't know it all. We may think we know it all, but sometimes you just need to go to your mother and seek her advice and see what she thinks. What is her perspective on things? And take her advice into consideration. And so, even more so, do we do for our Heavenly Mother. And King St. Ferdinand shows this very much in his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also to his earthly mother. He goes to his mother and says, Dearest Mother and Most Sweet Lady, of what value to me is this kingdom of Castile that you gave to me by your renunciation? Of what value is my marriage to my most noble wife, who was brought from distant lands? Of what value is the concern with which you satisfy my wishes with your motherly love, even before I make them known? What good are all these things if I become soft with the easy life? If the flower of my youth passes away without leaving fruit, if the early promise of my reign is not fulfilled, the hour determined by God has come unless I, lazy and weak as I am, do not recognize it. The time has come to save my Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all kings reign in a war against the Moors, the enemies of the holy faith. The circumstances in our kingdom are now favorable, and the Moors are burning for a fight. Jesus Christ is on our side, while the infidel, pernicious, apostate Muhammad is on theirs. What do we wait for? I plead with you, my mother, to whom after God I owe everything I have. Give me your approval to start the war." And after this, the king whose heart had been filled with the Spirit of God remained silent. And most of those present cried from emotion, impressed by the king's resolution and his glorious purpose. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement that King St. Ferdinand Seer begs his mother for her approval before going to war. He ends up receiving her permission, and she receives her blessing. And, she, he, and his wife carves for him out of ivory a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary and gives it to him. And he takes it and puts it into his saddle and he rides off to battle, always having the statue of Our Lady right there. And actually, if you go into his church in Spain today, you can see that same statue, the statue that he took into battle with him everywhere he went. Now, I'll spare you the details of the, of the battle for now. I might come back to it later uh, just because it's cool. But uh, moving on for other things that are less cool, but more important. So I'm going back in time because he became king when he was about 18, 19 years old. And, uh, but whenever he was 16 years old, I mentioned earlier about his father, how his father was a scoundrel. So his mother was a saintly woman, but his father was a scoundrel. In fact, it was, he was well known for raging war against other Christians. He would go and try to take over the lands of his Christian brothers constantly it was a very evil thing. So when he was 16, he was summoned by his father. He was ordered that his father, by his father to come to his kingdom because he wanted his son to learn about his kingdom and his place because he was going to give the kingdom of Leon to his son. So knowing that this would cause moral suffering. Now here's a difference. A moral suffering versus a physical suffering. Which do you think is worse? A physical suffering or a moral suffering? Well, most people would say, you know, a physical suffering would be because I know I don't like getting hurt. I don't like being hungry. I don't like getting uh, tortured. These things are terrible. These things are not good. But a moral suffering is actually worse. A moral suffering causes us to be in a situation where it compromises the, our soul. It puts us in a situation where we could compromise our soul. 
And that is so much worse. And that's why we have to have moral courage. We have to have moral courage because the virtue of courage is something that has, gets us to stand up against something that we are afraid to do. But whenever physical things are attacking us, many of us can stand and many of us can fight against anything, a physical thing attacking us. But what about the situation when you realize you're going to be derided, you're going to be hated, you're going to be scorned, you're going to be separated from your community, you're going to be kicked out of your profession. All these different jobs, all these different things, all your friends, your family, all these things can be taken away from you. And it has no physical damage to you, but it has a moral damage to you, an emotional damage to you. Well, King St. Ferdinand knew that by leaving his home, leaving his, his, his mother, he would endure moral suffering because one, he'd be influenced by his father, whose father was a scoundrel. He did not want to be exposed to these kind of things, this, what we would call a mere occasion of sin. He'd be leaving his sisters. He'd be leaving his mother whom he loved. And he'd be leaving his people. And so he decided that he had to go. And he said famously, his beautiful words, I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. He said, knowing this would be a grave moral suffering, he lowered his head and told his mother, Christ redeemed not in his mother's sweet arms, but on the hard arms of the cross. And his night shall not serve him in any other way so then he attended mass received communion kissed his mother's hand and left it's beautiful it's beautiful that is what we should have wait a calm courage and confidence those are the three virtues there's many virtues of king saint ferdinand but three virtues that we should focus on and that i want to get across calm courage and confidence have gone to church you know at Christmas time gradually quit going went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent and it was an easy excuse uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to mass when you come home to the to the church you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church like that's where I belong if you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason we invite you to take another look visit catholicscomehome.org today Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, we see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now, to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth. And that, my friend, will not happen again. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the, the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism filling our minds. 
the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Faith, hope, charity. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. This is the Holy Family Homeschool Group, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul! Calm, realizing there's an error, realizing there is something grave that he has to deal with, something that is morally going to challenge him, and he doesn't freak out. He's calm, he's resolute. He takes the situation, he analyzes the situation, he recognizes the problem. And then courage, moral courage, recognizing our Lord had the option to stay in the arms of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Imagine being in the arms of the Blessed Virgin. The one, the woman who loves us more than anything else in the world. The woman with the most sweetest and softest voice. And you realize, I am going to leave her arms and stretch out my arms on the cold, wood of the cross and die. King St. Ferdinand saw that and said, that's exactly right. And I am his knight. And so I cannot do anything less than what my master and my king has done. And so I too will suffer. And so he goes out and he meets with his father. And what's the last thing? Confidence. Confidence in who? Confidence in our lady, not confidence in our own abilities. Because if we rely on our own strength, we can do nothing. We will not succeed in anything that we do if we have confidence in ourselves. And we have this mentality, this worldly mentality, that we need to have confidence in ourselves, that we need self-help and these kind of things. But instead, let us rely on Christ. Let us rely on the Blessed Virgin. Let's have confidence in them. And they will save us. They will show us the way. And they will bring us to victory. Going forward, skipping ahead a lot of years in uh, his entire childhood and moving to when he becomes king, which if you, I, I highly recommend reading the book because when he becomes king, glory is a beautiful ceremony of him becoming king, but I'm going to skip that and go straight to whenever he becomes king, his father, and his father just keeps coming up, his father, the scoundrel, decided he was upset because his mother gave the crown to her son and said, you will be king. And, her, and his father was saying, no, that is my kingdom. That is my wife, and that is my kingdom. And so he was going to bring his army in to take over Castile. Not good. And so King St. Ferdinand, recognizing this was an issue, recognizing this was a problem, he said, no, I cannot go to war with my father. For one, it is wrong to go to war with our Christian brothers. And for two, it is wrong to fight your own father. I cannot do this. This is wrong. So I'll leave that hanging there for a second, and I'm going to move back a little bit. Don Alonso, I think his name is, he was a duke in the town, in the, in the uh, count, in the um, kingdom of Castile. And he favored his father. He favored his father, and he did not want to pledge loyalty to King St. Ferdinand. And so he starts a rebellion in the kingdom. And he starts slandering his mother and saying how she betrayed her husband and started spreading all these lies and falsehoods about his mother. Now imagine someone insulting your mom. Like that is like literally the worst thing you can possibly do. But then, just to make matters worse, 
He just starts destroying towns, raising them to the ground, burning it so no one can live there anymore. And so King St. Ferdinand sends his knights and they capture him. And when they bring him to him, it's an amazing story. I don't want to read it to you. It's going to take too long. But I'll just tell you the, the gist of it. He brings him to him. And he's filled with anger. He's filled with rage at this man. The man who has killed his people. The man who has destroyed his towns. The man who has insulted his mother. Who has cursed his mother. And he looks at him. And he's boiling with rage. So what does he do? Well, he does what any good king would do. He has calm, courage, and confidence. He's calm. He calms himself down. He goes into where? He goes into the chapel to pray. He prays, and our Lord speaks to him in the interior of his heart. He hears a locution in his heart telling him, Yes, you have a right to kill this man. Because you are king, so you have the right. It is just for you to kill this man, to execute him. But I am asking you to have mercy. Just as I had mercy, I am asking you to have mercy. And so now here's the problem, though. He's a young man. He's 18 years old. He's a new king. And he realizes that if he has mercy on this guy, if he chooses not to execute him, the people will see him as weak. They will say, this man, he's just a boy still. He can't be our ruler. He doesn't even have the courage to execute someone. And so what does he have to do? He has to have courage, not physical courage, but moral courage, recognizing he now knows what our Lord desires. Now he has to choose. And our Lord has already told him, whatever you choose, you're not committing a sin. You're not doing anything wrong. It is just for you to execute him, but I'm asking you not to. So what do you do in this situation? Well, he has moral courage. He decides he will take the insults. He will take the people whispering behind his back. And so he then pardons him. He throws him in prison. He eventually gets out, and he is actually the reason why his father invades. So now we go back to that story. So his father is invading, and he does not want to go to war with his father. So what does he do? Calm, courage, and confidence. I forgot to mention the confidence one in the last story real quick. Confidence and Our Lady, he knew, and he was told by his men, if you let this man go, he will cause you more problems in the future. And he knew that Our Lady, her will would be done. And so he let her go anyways, even though he knew that it was probably not a good idea, which turned out to be true because he's the reason why his father ends up invading. So what does he do? Calm, courage, and confidence. He sends out the bishop to go meet with his father and do diplomatic work. And he, they, on horseback, go meet his father at the border. He has this great diplomatic speech. Everything goes well. And skipping ahead, he ends up, the bishop comes back to tell him that peace has been uh, brokered. Good news. When the bishop comes to bring the news to King St. Ferdinand, where is King St. Ferdinand? King St. Ferdinand is in the chapel. He had stayed in the chapel for days, waiting for the return of the bishop to let him know what the news was. And he had his arms outstretched like this. The entire time, praying, he had blood drenched. He was drenched in blood from the pain that he was suffering from being on his knees for so long. He had confidence in Our Lady. 
and he knew that Our Lady's will would be done. And so he had courage, moral courage, that he knew he had to do something that would not cause war and not shed Christian blood. Finally, I want to end with, okay, one other thing real quick. For the ladies, I highly recommend this, if only for the story of his, of his queen. Whenever he, uh, whenever he gets married, absolutely beautiful story. Oh, and he, uh, his mother goes and meets the queen, and brings her, and they get married. Absolutely stunning. It's just a beautiful story, but I can't get into that, unfortunately. Okay. The last thing I want to say is how King St. Ferdinand died. King St. Ferdinand... And so I'm skipping way ahead. He had many expedites. He had many battles, many glorious things happen. But skipping all the way to the end of his life, he has now become the king of Castile and the king of Leon. His father died. He inherited the land. There was a whole debacle there, but I can't tell you that story. Uh, so eventually, he's on his deathbed. What does he do? This glorious king, this man of heroic virtue, he orders that all the beautiful things in his room be removed. Everything. Everything gets, gets gotten rid of. They bring an altar into his room. He sets up two candles and a cross. And he looks at the cross and he prays. He's sickly. But when he sees the cross come out, he stumbles out of bed and gets on his knees. And he starts praying. He asks for a priest to come in. And he makes a general confession of his whole life, weeping in tears for all the sins he ever committed. And people who overheard his confession were saying, these sins are not that, these are not that bad. He didn't do anything. And, but to him, every small infraction he recognized as it was every small infraction that nailed our Lord to the cross. And he was in tears, begging for forgiveness. He has the people around him, his family come in. He speaks to his sons and tells his eldest son, you will inherit my kingdom. Be a good king. And his son was a good king. And then finally, as he's starting to die, he recognizes that his end is near. He asks that they all sing the Te Deum. And if you don't know, the Te Deum is a song of thanksgiving that you give to God. A song that gives thanks to God for all the good things. And they start singing the Te Deum. And as the Te Deum ends, he breathes his last. And that is the life of King St. Ferdinand. And those are the virtues that we need to learn from him. Calm, courage, and confidence. Even on his deathbed. Calm, recognizing that his end is near. Courage, bringing, getting rid of it all. Getting rid of everything. Recognizing that this is a time where he needs to be on his knees, not in bed. And confidence in Our Lady. Recognizing that he has trust that Our Lady and Our Lord will bring him to the heavenly kingdom. And now he is King St. Ferdinand. Praise be to God. I hope you enjoyed that video. I hope that that was edifying to you. It inspired some militancy in your soul, some counter-revolutionary spirit. Uh, if not, then, you know, let me know in the comments down below. So maybe you won't, you didn't like this one. Maybe you will like the next one. Uh, we're going to throw you right into the talk on the great Saint, Saint Maria de la Luz Camancho, a great Cristero martyr. It's such a great confidence and trust in Our Lady and Our Lord with such vigor to fight for Christ the King. You're going to love this episode. And let me know what you think. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell, notification bell, and comment down below what you think. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, soapbox and negativities, positivities, or anything in between. And I'll throw you into the episode right Talk about now. the Queen, exactly, yeah. Real quick, uh, I was brought to my attention that Gabe's uh, whole idea of carrying around a statue of Our Lady... 
it works out perfectly for King St. Ferdinand, how he would carry the ivory statue of Our Lady in his pouch everywhere he went, everywhere he'd go, he'd take that. So there you go. Gabe is already ahead of the game. He, without, he's just, it's the blood of, uh, of the Castillo, right? Gabriel there you go. Castillo, there you go. Okay, so the next talk will be on Maria de la Luz. She was a Cristero martyr, amazing, beautiful saint. There she is on the left, and then on the right is an image of uh, one of the Cristero martyrs, Miguel Pro. And so the, uh, what do you, if, if you haven't seen For Greater Glory, I highly recommend it. This is like mandatory watching, especially for Texans. A couple weeks ago, I actually traveled to El Paso, and I climbed the Monte Cristo Rey which is a statue with a humongous, uh, it's a mountain with a giant statue of our, la- our Lord at the top. And when you stand there and you look out, uh, you can actually see Mexico, New Mexico, and Texas all uh, from the top of the mountain. And so literally across the border, Catholics were being slaughtered by the Mexican government. Um, right, Literally, like you could see it from the top of the mountain. So anyway, go back to Maria de la Luz. So... Maria de la Luz, she was born right before the persecution of the Catholics in Mexico started. And so she actually was uh, raised at a convent school. And whenever she was uh, going to school, she actually was an actress. So she'd go and she'd be in plays. Uh, her most famous roles, she played in Joan of, as Joan of Arc and, uh, and Mary of Scotland. And so this, she was an amazing actress. And it was actually said that she could become a professional actress if she had desired to pursue acting as a career. During this time period, though, as she's leaving school, as she's about to graduate from school, that's whenever the Gaia's Laws started being implemented. And for y'all who don't know, the Gaia's Laws were some of the harshest laws ever implemented on the Catholic Church, ever, in the entire world. Catholic priests were executed. Catholic priests were kicked out of the country. They were, churches were shut down. They were turned into other kinds of buildings. They were turned into barns and barracks for soldiers. It was a horrific time period to be a Catholic in Mexico. But the Mexican people who loved Our Lady, who loved Our Lord, had the calling cry that Pius IX gave to them, which was, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. And they would shout that constantly, long live Christ the King. And so Maria de la Luz finding out and seeing all these things happen, where it got to the point where there was about one priest for every city. Imagine that. Imagine if the entire city of Houston, in the greater Houston area, all the people were served by one priest. That'd be impossible for that one priest. That'd be a horrible time. So, what would happen? So, Maria de la Luz realized what we need is the lay people need to stand up and start fighting for Christ the King. And so what did she do? She started at the age of 15, she became a catechist, the same age as many of you guys here. She became a catechist and she told the people, y'all need to learn the faith. You need to study hard.
this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you know what are the two most common questions after attending a non-Catholic church service? Answer, how is the preaching and how is the worship? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, evaluation of worship? That's odd. Who's evaluating worship? Well, here's what really is meant by that. How is the music, the singing, and the audible response of the people? And if that were important, wouldn't that be our Lord's decision anyway? Secondly, Catholic teaching. Worship is fundamentally not tied to music and song, though it can be supported by music and song. The 2,000-year history of Catholic worship is primarily about the representing of Jesus' unbloody, timeless sacrifice on every Catholic altar. It is that moment when the bread and wine are changed into Jesus' own body and blood. We then participate in that worship by bringing our own sacrifice of self, whether sorrow or praise. And thirdly, my take. The only evaluation that should be considered after a church or a mass is the evaluation of heart and actions. That is, did we grow in obedience to the royal law of love? Help us, Father. Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image, that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human. Because we have to keep the faith and spread the faith because there is not going to be a priest to come and teach you the faith. There's not going to be some great teacher, some PhD candidate, some teacher that graduated from university to come teach because those people were kicked out. Those people were killed. If you were an educated person in the Catholic faith, gone. Sisters, gone. They banned the wearing of cassocks. They banned wearing the habits. All these things were happening. So... What did she do? She started getting people together in homes. In everyone's homes, they started teaching the faith in their homes. And she would write plays to teach the faith to each other so they could start performing them, helping the kids learn their faith. And she would write songs. It was said that she had an angelic voice. And so she would sing the songs, and in the song, she would always make sure that she could incorporate the phrase, Cristo Rey, Viva Cristo Rey, because she wanted to implement that idea in people's minds that Christ is king. Calles is not king. The president of Mexico is not king. The secular rulers are not king. Christ is king. And we have to be obedient to Christ if the government tells us to do otherwise. Very important. So one day, Maria de la Luz, she's an older, she's in her early 20s. She's about 20, 21 years old. And she throws this beautiful party. They, her dad, uh, they set up this massive party. People are coming in. They're all wearing their best outfits. And they have flowers set up. And everyone's coming in. Everyone's having a great time. And then night falls. And what happens? A man sneaks into the back of the house. And they come in. And the man walks up. And you hear the words in And mass has begun. Because they would throw these parties at people's houses to try to distract from the government. Because saying holy mass was illegal. And so the priest would sneak in in the dead of night and he'd just begin mass and people would congregate inside. And it was said that when Maria de la Luz didn't, was not able to attend holy mass, every night you would hear her murmuring, Come, come Lord Jesus, come in her sleep. 
Those would be the words coming out of her mouth. Imagine not being able to go to Mass. Many of us today do not like going to Mass. We are like, oh, we have to go to Mass. But imagine a time and a day which may happen to us in our time. And most people, Maria de la Luz, when she was a kid, she didn't think this was going to happen to her. She was going to a convent school. She had no idea that mass would be unavailable, that priests would be unavailable. This could happen to us. This could happen to you and it could happen to me. Do we love the Holy Mass? Will we fight for the Holy Mass? If the Holy Mass became illegal, would we do everything in our power to make sure that the Holy Mass became available and that we went, risking life and limb? One story that I need to tell y'all, and I want to read it from y'all, from the book on her life. One of the other things of her li- about her life was that she fought against immorality in the, in the secular culture. We think about ourselves and how much of secular culture is utterly and completely degenerate. And we become desensitized to it because it happens so much. Think about the billboards we see. Think about the things that come up on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. Everywhere we go, we see immorality. So what did Maria de la Luz do? Maria de la Luz shuddered. Once more, her glance swept over the lured advertisements in front of the movie house. We'll soon stop that, was her low voice comment to her companions. Take these handbills and give one to every person you meet. I'll take my post outside the theater. Four of you stand on the street corners, and the rest of you distribute your bills to the homes in this district. Maria de la Luz was protesting, protesting against an immoral picture being shown at a prominent theater in Mexico City. She had called her assistants together and given them handbills of protest that she had printed. But Maria, argued Cardman, what if some of those brutal communists see us and beat us and drag us off to jail? You know, Maria, that they have done so for less than this. Cardman, says Maria, haven't you got a guardian angel? Ask him to protect you. We shouldn't be afraid to brave some danger for Christ the King. As the girls hurried down the street, they heard the theater manager shouting at Maria de la Luz, Get away from here, you contemptible little meddler. Amazing. Do we have that zeal to fight against degenerate culture? To go out and protest against things that are evil, that need to be rejected against the public square. But what about freedom of speech? Okay, well, use your freedom of speech. If they can do that, then why can't you stand out and say, don't go, do not attend? How many movies today have blasphemies constantly, every five minutes? They blaspheme the holy name of our Lord, and yet we don't even think twice about it. Here's one thing you could do if you don't go outside and protest these things. At least bow your head at every time you hear blasphemy against our Lord. But because of her actions... And here's the theme of today, moral courage. Because of her actions, she lost so many friends. She was rejected. She was said that she would come home and she would throw herself onto her bed and start weeping. But she said she never let anyone see her cry. The only person she would confide in was her confessor. Other than that, she said, it is better to suffer in silence. The last thing that I want to do before we finish up is the story of her death. A beautiful story, and I'm just going to uh, read it to you because it's going to just be a better story if I read it to you. Down the street was heard the roar of voices. Margelli smiled. In a few seconds, his 60 stout lads would be lined up before him. Only Centario Park lay between the town hall and the Catholic church. 
They could easily set out for the town hall, proceed through the park, rush upon the church, and after they had fired the ten rounds of ammunition he was providing for each, hurry back to the town hall where he would welcome them. It was Sunday. He was going to teach these Catholics a lesson they wouldn't forget. Margelis saluted the red and black uniformed youth as they drew up in front of the town hall. They were in high spirits, shouting lustily, Long live the revolution! Margelis talked to them, working them up until he could see that they were savage in the intensity with which they cursed and clenched their fists. He assured them of their own personal safety after the matter was accomplished. They had Garrido's promise for that each man was provided with a revolver, ammunition, and a good swig of good, strong whiskey. Thus fortified, they made their way into the park. Their first move was to drape a red and black flag over the arms of Monumental Mission Cross in the center of the park and affix it a picture of Marheli. Then one of the soldiers began to harangue them, vehemently denouncing all things Catholic. A youth of 15 followed, winning cheers for his vitriolic speech. The liberator of Tabasco has set us a glorious example which we must follow. Religion is our enemy, and we must get rid of it by killing all the priests, by burning holy images in all churches. We count on the support of the government, which looks upon our determination with sympathy, and it is ready to give us a helping hand. The president of the republic is powerless to prevent us, for Garrido, and not he, is the real ruler of Mexico City. The Reds are going to burn the church. The cries circulated like wildfire, and Maria de la Luz thoughts flew at once to the 200 children now at mass. She made up her mind, putting on her green silk sport, sport dress with a white satin collar. She set out with her younger sister, Lupita. Why are you dressed up, her sister inquired. When we are going to defend Christ the King, answered Maria de la Luz, ought we not look our best? As they approached the church, the orating in the park was in the last menacing stages. A fierce surge of anger and hatred had swept over the mob. In the church, Father Raphael was saying the prayers at the foot of the altar. I will go unto the altar of God, because thou art God my strength. The great mass had begun, and there was no room for fear. They were climbing Calvary together with Christ. What ineffable honor if some of them were to mount the cross with him, as Peter and Paul and the other holy martyrs of the church had done before. Maria de la Luz took her stand at the church door, and if any red entered, he would do so over her dead body. A youth in black and red uniform approached the two girls. Maria de la Luz recognized him as a boy that she had prepared for First Communion. Miss Camancho, he began earnestly, they are going to burn the church, please, go away. Maria de la Luz, her eyes took on the old determined look. The boy might as well have been addressing a stone wall. When the church bells rang, announcing the elevation, the cries of the mob rose to a pitch that could only mean one thing. They were about to attack. A paralyzing fear gripped those kneeling in the church. Somewhere, a revolver cracked. The priest, fearing desecration, hastened to consume the sacred species. Outside, Maria de la Luz met the onrush, the young girl's courage facing them alone, daring them to shoot her. Compelled their respect, a few began to recede, but others started to move towards her. Curse be Christ the King, someone cried. Praise be Christ the King, said Maria de la Luz. The red leader, furious that they should be thwarted by a mere girl, turned to his comrades and shouted, Long live the revolution! 
And this was a signal to fire. Maria de la Luz shouts, Long live Christ! And she struck dead on the steps of the church. And her cry was drowned out by the fire of guns. And Maria de la Luz became a martyr of the church, one of the first martyrs of Catholic action, a group of Catholics, of lay people who are fighting to bring about the faith in their lives by their action, by their catechesis as lay people. And she was struck dead, defending Holy Mother Church, giving the people time to escape. And many, most of the children escaped through the front, through the back door. And the priest was able to consume the species so our Lord was not desecrated because of the bravery of Maria de la Luz. Do we have that bravery? The bravery of a young woman who had both moral courage and physical courage to face the onslaught of the enemy. And when we hear people blaspheming the name of God, when people shout death to Christ the King, and nowadays it's become popular to have Satanism all over the place here in Texas. We had Satanism, black masses in Houston, Texas. When we hear people shout hell Satan, our response should be, and she will crush his head because Our Lady, her heel will crush the head of Satan. When people say death to Christ the King, we should respond, long live Christ the King. When we hear blasphemies against our Lord, we need to stand up and have moral courage. If it's our friends, our family, people at school, we need to stand up for Christ the King, whatever the consequences that may follow. So let's have that virtue. Let's pray for that virtue. Let's pray for that grace. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi. Today we celebrate the memorial of Our Lady, Mother of the Church. We offer this Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit.
My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, Father of mercies, whose only begotten Son, as he hung upon the cross, chose the Blessed Virgin Mary, his mother, to be our mother also. Grant, we pray, that with her loving help, your church may be more fruitful day by day, and exulting in the holiness of her children, may draw to her embrace all the families of the peoples. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. reading from the Acts of the Apostles. After Jesus had been taken up to heaven, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer, together with some woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glorious things are told of you, O city of God. Glorious things are told of you, O city of God. His foundation upon the holy mountains the world loves, the gates of Zion more than any dwelling of Jacob. Glorious things are told of you, O city of God. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God, and of Zion they shall say, One and all were born in her, and he who has established her is the Most High Lord. Glorious things are told of you, O city of God. They shall note, when the peoples are enrolled, this man was born there, and all shall sing in their festive dance, My home is within you. Glorious things are told of you, O city of God. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. O happy virgin, you gave birth to the Lord. O blessed Mother of the Church, you warm our hearts with the spirit of your Son, Jesus Christ. Alleluia, 
Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now, was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine, so they put a sponge soaked in wine on a spring of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. Now, since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, in recent years, established this memorial of Our Lady, Mother of the Church, right after the day of Pentecost, which makes perfect sense. If Pentecost is the birthday of the Church, the Spirit coming upon the apostles and upon the disciples, and then sending them out into the world to witness to Jesus. And we see in that first reading of the Acts of the Apostles that our Mother is there, praying with the disciples and the apostles. And that's what she does for us today. Of course, she just, just doesn't stand there and pray. She helps the Holy Spirit to form Jesus Christ within us. And she does it in such a tender and motherly way. That's her secret. In 1981, St. John Paul II, after he had been, it was not long after he had been shot in St. Peter's Square, wanted to have an image of our Blessed Mother in St. Peter's Square, because there were images of all kinds of other saints, but there wasn't an image of our Blessed Mother. And with the, the image that he chose is Mater Ecclesia, Our Lady Mother of the Church, because it was St. Paul VI who had preceded him, who, who designated Mary as Mother of the Church at the end of the Second Vatican Council. So there she stands, a beautiful icon in St. Peter's Square uh, of the Mother of the Church, because it is there in the midst of the Church as Mary, the perfect and model disciple of Jesus. There she is, and there she is with us. So as Peter as the, uh, gathers all of the flock together in those beautiful arms of uh, Bernini, gathering all the, all the nations together, there is Our Lady in the midst of them, praying for us and asking the Lord to form Jesus Christ more perfectly in us so that we can truly become the body of Christ. In the Gospel today, John, we have that moment where Jesus rather gives over to us, entrusts to us, his mother, and then entrusts, uh, his mother then is also entrusted to us. Father Sam last week was speaking about 
uh, that the consecration to Jesus through Mary. I guess you could say this is really the source text. Jesus giving us everything as he hands over himself his perfect sacrifice to the Father, gives us everything, and so he gives us his mother. He entrusts his mother to us and us to his mother. And so Mary is there to help us to form the church, to make the church more a more credible witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We need to have our Blessed Mother in our life in a profound way so that her tenderly care and her motherly care can help to form Jesus in us more perfectly. Our Lady, Mother of the Church, intercede for us as individual Christians, but also inter intercede for the, the Church of Jesus Christ, whom he formed. Always be with us, praying for us, and forming us in your tender care. Dear brothers and sisters, gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from our God, let us ask him to prompt in us prayers that are worthy of his hearing. Let us pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for all the bishops throughout the world, for all the clergy, for the people entrusted to their charge. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the, through the intercession of our mother, Mary of the Church, May the Church ever bear a more credible witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ in the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray for peace throughout the world, especially in those areas which suffer from violence and terrorism. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray for all those who are sick and who are suffering. We entrust them in the hands of and care of our Blessed Mother, that they may be strengthened in faith, hope, and charity in their sufferings. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all those who have died. Remember on this Memorial Day, all who have offered their life for our freedom and our protection. We pray for all those, all the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of us gathered in this sacred place, those who are joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, that we may be led to a deeper love and reverence for God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. May the petitions of your church be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, so that we may receive from your mercy what we cannot ask out of confidence in our own merits, through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> The Church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he brought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation 
One Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses, with every grace endued. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sorrow cursed, by schisms rent asunder, by her heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long, and soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hand for the praise and the glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Receive, O Lord, we ask, the prayers of your people with the sacrificial offerings, that through the intercession of Blessed Mary, the mother of your Son, no petition may go unanswered, no request be made in vain. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, and to praise, bless, and glorify your name in veneration of the blessed ever-Virgin Mary. For by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit she conceived your only begotten Son, and without losing the glory of virginity, brought forth into the world the eternal light, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him the angels praise your majesty, dominions adore, and powers tremble before you. Heaven and the virtues of heaven and the blessed seraphim Worship together with exaltation. May our voices, we pray, join with theirs in humble praise as we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenisum Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Osana in Excelsis. Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants, and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you, 
For them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John, and Paul, Cosmas, and Damian, and all your saints. We ask that through their merits and prayers, in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace, and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation, and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, his almighty Father, giving you thanks. He said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer, we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high, in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. 
Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants, who, though sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share and fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon, through Christ our Lord. Through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, forever and ever. Amen. Preceptus salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui has in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhur, adveniat regnum tuhur, Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem. Sed libera nos Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Blessed is the womb of the Virgin Mary, which bore the Son of the Eternal Father. For those unable to receive Holy Communion, an act of spiritual communion. By Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. 
I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Father, we thank thee who hast planted thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and faith and life immortal, Jesus, thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for thy pleasure, didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal. Thine is the power, be thine the praise. Watch o'er thy church, O Lord, in mercy. Save it from evil, guard it still. Perfected in thy love, united, cleansed and conformed unto thy will. As grain once scattered on the hillsides Was in this broken bread made one So from all lands thy church be gathered Into thy kingdom by thy Son Let us pray. As we receive this heavenly sacrament, we beseech, O Lord, your mercy, that we who rejoice in commemorating the Blessed Virgin Mary may, by imitating her, serve worthily the mystery of our redemption through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Et Spes Nostra Salve, A Te Clamamus, Exulas Filii Heve, A Te The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Vilma from St. Thomas More Parish. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, Radio for Your Soul. <laughs> 